Professor Falk did his education at the University of Paris IV, the Sorbonne. Uh, he also did a license in um, Catholic theology, uh, from, has it from the Centre Sèvres in Paris. And then he did a PhD in theology with Jean-Luc Marion, known to many of you, uh, also at the Sor Sorbonne. Um, he teaches at the Institut Catholique in, Par in Paris, where he's also an honorary um, a, uh, dean. I think he's an honorary dean, which is probably much higher than a real dean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's honorary professor um, also at Australian Catholic University. He has a very interesting portfolio with um, very specific expertise in the Middle Ages, especially Bonaventure, also Thomas Aquinas, and then he ranges very widely uh, specific expertise in contemporary thought, especially French uh, phenomenology. And he will speak to us today about uh, body eros and um, the resurrection. I actually don't have the title really with me. I have the, uh, but it is about his uh, latest book, which is The Wedding Feast of the Lamb. I quoted in, in the English translation, Eros, the body, and the Eucharist. But this is the third of um, uh, uh, what he calls a philosophical triduum, right? And the second one of that is the metamorphosis of um, finitude. And the first one, is that actually the first one? No, it's different, right? The first one is on Gethsemane. That will come out in English. It's not yet out in English. Um, the first one is called Le Passeur de Gethsemane, Angoisse, Souffrance et Mort. But another book that he will lecture on this week is Crossing the Rubicon, The Borderlands of Philosophy and Theology. So without further ado, please um, help me welcoming Professor Falk. So thanks for this presentation. I'm very happy to be here. And I want to thank Lumen Christie and Thomas Levergo to have invited me. Uh, Chicago, of course, is very well known for the French philosophers because of Ricoeur first, because he left France to go to Chicago. <laughs> Uh, and uh, very well known because of Jean-Luc, I know him very well, a good friend of me. Uh, and it is the first time I'm coming to Chicago, so I'm very happy to be here. Because I've been to many universities in US, and many of my books are now translated in English. So um, I choose to, to speak about Eros, Body, and Eucharist. Uh, it means uh, I choose to speak about uh, my book, The Wedding Feast of the Lamb, uh, as you said, it is a triptych, and it is the last part of the triptych. And um, I, try, I tried in those three books uh, to construct a sort of philosophical reflection about the three days of Passion of Christ. So is it philosophy or is it theology? It is a good question. I think tomorrow I will speak with students about crossing the Rubicon. I don't know where. So I, it will be possible to explain the method because I try to show that we have to, to provoke an encounter between philosophy and theology. And you will see that in my lecture. So first, I will, I will not read all my lecture. I will read the introduction. And then I will only comment. 
So, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of Lamb. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb come and his ride has made herself ready to air that has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. Come gather for the great supper of God. Recognize, of course, the St. John's revelation is a sufficient invitation to the banquet, a lamp. So, you can see a lamp. And the important point for me, that it is an animal. It's not the Christ. And it's not the bread of the Eucharist. It is an animal. A lamp is standing there, sacrificed, ready to be viewed, worshipped, but also eaten. In the cathedral of Saint-Bavon in Gand, it is in Belgium, the Ake Brothers have drawn its feature as a Flemish altarpiece that is both well-known and subject to controversy, namely the adoration of the lamp, painted in 1432. Precisely, where only shortly before the execution of this work, the early reformers, so there is a debate on the, the reformers and the Catholics were coming. The, the refer, early reformers, John Wycliffe and Jan Hus, maintain that, I quote, Christ is not identical to hand really in the sacrament on the altar on his own physical person. So they say that. And against them, the Ake brothers showed the realism and even substantialism displaying Christ openly on the altar, on the image of a lamb in a reality of presence that surprised but remains still be claimed. I said a real presence awaits us, certainly newly questioned, but no less necessarily and indisputable over the age through which it is past. So, the important main for, point for me in this altarpiece, of course you have many people, but I will explain it. You have an animal which is here on the altar, and what does it mean to have an animal? And I will try to explain to you, I hope to not shock you too much, that Christ never became an animal, but we have a part of animality in ourselves. And if Christ assumed our humanity, he assumed also our animality. Okay, you are not too shocked. And it means that the Eucharist is not only the transit of the passage from humanity to divinity, but it is a passage from our animality to humanity in filiation. Oh. I don't want to say that Christ became an animal. But you see, here you have a lamp. I just want to say that because Christ assumed our humanity, he assumed all the part of our humanity, so also our animality. And it is because in theology, we didn't distinguish between animality and bestiality 
that we never spoke about animality in theology. So when I said we never spoke anim about animality in theology, it's not completely true because you can find Scottish Eugenius speaking about animality in, in St. Francis, in Bonaventure sometimes, but not so much. And what is, what is surprising in my eyes in the fact that in philosophy today, and particularly in theology, in, in phenomenology, we are speaking a lot about animality. Since Fonuscule, uh, I don't know if Fonuscule will speak or spoke about the world, human world, and animal world. And then Heidegger, who spoke about a lizard, I don't know if you know that. Huh? So, and, and what, what does that mean, animality in phenomenology? Animality in phenomenology, it doesn't mean only a difference between humanity and animality. The question of animality is not a question of difference between human beings and animals. It is not a question of animals. Here, the question on the adoration of love is not the question of an animal. But animality is a part of myself. And if I have to interrogate what is animality in myself, it is because I am made of passion, I've made of pulsion, and I think that Christ came to encounter me, not only because he is only speaking, but because he is a body like me. And he encountered me to say, I know you part of animality, I know your passion, I know your pulsion. In my book, I explained that it, it is in a course. Uh, Heidegger gave a course on Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche one. Uh, and Heidegger said that in the chaos, the chaos in Nietzsche is a district, a part of something we can't say anything about. I don't know if you know the cinabre in Kant. Huh? The cinabre is it's not very well known, but something can happen to you and perhaps it is impossible for you to do the synthesis. Impossible for you to say it is a phenomenon. And when Heidegger saw that, when he gave his course, he said, but that is not phenomenology, and he closed the book. So my question is, how is it possible to think the mystery of the Eucharist, not only from our humanity, but also from our animality, if Christ came to assume all the part of I am, to change me or to encounter me, not for I become an angel, because I will never become an angel. I'm not an angel. And as said Pascal, if I want to be an angel, I will be a beast. But Christ came to me to encounter me and to say, this is my body. And in my body, I assume all the part of animality which is in yourself. And I assume the possibility for you to become bestial, to, to, to fall in bestiality. So animality is a part of myself which is inscribed in my nature. It's, it's, of course, it's very well known with Darwin and so on, but it's not absolutely not a question of evolutionism. It is just a question of what is what what exists in myself? What I have in myself? <laughs>
Okay? And bestiality is the possibility only for human beings to fall under our animality. You have a pornographic and so on. So, uh, my aim or my, my suggestion, my proposition is to say with Gregor, Gregory Nazius, Nazianus that only what is united to God is saved. So, if God doesn't come in me, in my part of animality, my animality will, will not be saved by God. And God, as said the credo, came for us human beings and he came for us for our redemption. So you have two motives, two reasons of the coming of Christ. The, the, the Christ came by solidarity and Christ came for redemption, for us human beings and for our safe. So in that way, he came in our animality, which is a part of our nature, and he came for our bestiality, which is sin, which is the possibility to fall under our animality. In that way, I want to say, and that is my purpose, that if you want to think what is the Eucharist today, why, why have, we, we, have we to think what is the Eucharist today? Because we have to follow what the Pope John 23 said at the opening of the Council of the Council Vatican II in 1962 when he said that we have to respond to the requirement of our age and we have to follow the research method and the presentation employed by modern thought. It doesn't mean that we have to be modern, but it means that we have to think the tradition from our time. Exactly what, in fact, Thomas Aquinas did in his time. So, and the book Metamorphosis of Finitude, which is the second part of my Triduum, I'm speaking about finitude. Why I'm speaking about finitude? Because finitude is, for me, the sense of human being for today. Since Heidegger, but perhaps since Freud, since Marx, and so on the anguish of death. And if I'm speaking about the metamorphosis of finitude, it is because I think that Christianity has the possibility, has got the possibility to transform our culture today. But if Christianity has the possibility to transform our culture today, we have to interrogate what is our culture today. In that way, I will say that in the Eucharist, we have first to interrogate what is the Eucharistic heritage, which is, in my thought, animality. It is a figure of the lamp, the Eucharistic heritage. And then we have to show what is the Eucharistic content. And I will show to you that it is a body. This is my body. So the Eucharistic animality, the lamp. The Eucharistic content is the body. This is my body. What is this Eucharistic modality? It is body, but a body given. So it means eros. We have to think what is eros, because a man and a woman can say 
to themselves, this is my body. This is my body is not only a word of Christ to humanity, of church, of Christ to church, it is a word between man and woman. So, is it possible to, pass, to, to think what is the Eucharist from the Eros, and so that is the modality of Eucharist, and then I will try to show that there is an aim, an Eucharistic aim, or a finality of Eucharist, which is abiding to stay, like in a couple, in fidelity. Exactly, in John, I remain me in me, and I in you. So, you will have the Eucharistic heritage, which is animality, the Eucharistic content, which is body, the Eucharistic modality, which is eros, and the Eucharistic aim, which is uh, the act of abiding or to remain with or in the order. So, we have to know that when we are speaking about uh, Eucharist, it is a very complex, difficult point because uh, it's, it's absolutely a scandal to speak about the Eucharist. It's absolutely a scandal. However, it's of my flesh and drinks my, my blood. How that is possible? Trogon huh? eats my flesh. Trogon mu ten sarka. It means in Greek, you eat the flesh. And drink my blood, pinon mu ton aima. So, what does that mean? It is absolutely a scandal. And it was a scandal, it is very important, it was a scandal for the Father of Church, too. And it was a scandal for the Jewish, too. When the Jewish or Sadduceans said, but how is it possible that this man is giving his flesh to eat? So the question of cannibalism is not a, a false question. It is a question. As said Peggy, we are, we, we are in sort of habitude, so we have so, too, too much habitude. And, but it is absolutely a scandal. John Chrysostom said that the, the bread is completely the, the body of Christ. And it is so much the body of Christ that in fact we will we can we, we can see the blood on our tongue because it is a, in fact it is a piece of meat. And Thomas Aquinas said why it is not a piece of meat? It is a conservation of the species of the species. He said, only for two reasons, as there is other reason, transubstantiation and so on, but he said, two reasons. First, if it was a piece of meat, the pagan said, the Christian are completely mad. I remember to you that Francis Bacon said, you know Francis Bacon, the painter? And Gilles Deleuze wrote on Bacon. And Bacon said, the true crucifixion are in the bushways. I say, oh, what does that mean? And the pain crucifixion. And crucifixion are animals. But it is a true question. So first, it is not meat. Because the pagans will say that we are completely mad. And it is not meat because if it was, if it was meat, I will not eat it. Huh? Because I, I will reject it. That's why it's, it's always bread. But in fact, it's meat. Because it is body. So of course you can say, we see that. No, in fact, it is not body. 
No, it is not body. Because if you know exactly uh, what is a body uh, in the ancient testament, you will say that the body is not really a body, because body is basar, you know, in Hebrews. And basar is not the body, but basar is a person. So when you eat the Eucharist, this is my body, it's not the body, but it is Christ who is coming in me. You can say that. But you hear, but you say, this is my body. So if we don't think the body from what is body today, we don't understand what we are doing. We do not understand what we are doing. You can't ask to the believers to say to the believers, okay, now you have to study the Jewish tradition to know that body is not a body, so you are not eating a body, but you say that it is a body, and that it is, it is not blood, but you say that blood, but blood is not blood. No, no. And in the Catholic tradition, you eat the body. And you will see that with Béranger, L'Enfant, there is a very quarrel on that question. Huh? The real presence is a true question. So, uh, why, why I try to show that point that the real presence has to be think today in a new way, and the transubstantiation too. I want to show that in my book, The Wedding Feast of the Lamb, for many region, reasons. The first reason, and perhaps it is the first point of my, 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 my paper, which is philosophy at the limit, the first reason is a philosophical one. What is my position in front of phenomenology? So, I have been the students of Jean-Luc Marion, you know him very well, he's his fifth, I know he's in Chicago, and so on, you know him very well. And I know him very well, I know his family, we are very friendly, no problem, but, but, I develop another way. I explain it many times, another way, because I'm not at the same generation. So I can think something else. Exactly as he saw something else as Derrida, it's possible for me to think something else. We have sometimes discussion, not so much, but many students wrote on me and Jean-Luc about those questions. And you have to know that in France we, have, we are in combat. And it's not because we are in combat that we are not absolutely friendly. It's completely false. I wrote a book, it will, it will be published next year, but it's translated now, which is a loving struggle. Phenomenological, ontological dispute. And you have a chapter on Derrida, a chapter on Merleau-Ponty, a chapter on Jean-Luc Marion, a chapter on Jean-Luc Lacoste, a chapter on Jean-Luc Chrétien, and so on. So I discuss. And in each chapter I said, what, is, what can I say about the question of God? So, we are in debate. It doesn't mean that is a combat, that is a war. But I explain that this is a debate like the combat of the angel Jacob with the angel. Huh? I need the other to, be, to, to exist. Okay. Of course I need Jean-Luc Marion to think. Of course. Because uh, I learned a lot by him, thanks to him. But now I have my own way, of course. And in my own way, I said first that I don't believe in the overcoming of metaphysics. But I have to say that in my generation, nobody believes anymore in the overcoming of metaphysics. In crossing the Rubicon, I said that the overcoming of it, we have to overcome the overcoming of metaphysics. It's completely finished to my eyes. 
because I think that we, are, we don't have to overcome the tradition, we don't have to find a new language, but we have to transform the language. Exactly what did the Catholic tradition? Because never in the Catholic tradition you are thinking outside of the, of the language. Never you are thinking outside of the substance or the transubstantiation and so on. You are thinking in the Greek categories. You don't have to overcome the Greek categories to transform the categories themselves. So in my eyes, there are some limits in phenomenology. And many people say to me, so now you are no more a phenomenologist. And when you say that, you say, oh, who I am? I don't know who I am. I don't know if I've, I am always a phenomenologist. It's absolutely not the question. The question, when you are a true phenomenologist, is the things themselves. What I have to think. And I think that there are three limits in phenomenology, which are, first, the primacy of the flesh on the body. It's a very strange point that uh, in my book, uh, yes, it is the Wittiness of the Lamb. I'm speaking about of the swerve of the flesh, l'embardé de la chair en français. It means that why we are always speaking about flesh? Because flesh is live body. Okay, good. But if you read exactly the fifth Cartesian meditation of Husserl, and if you read the French translation of the fifth meditation of Husserl, you will see that Leib, I am speaking for the philosophers, excuse me, you are, you are seeing that Leib is, trans, is translated by Derrida in 1931 by organic body. And French, corps organic, and absolutely not by chair. It means that the translation of Leib, you sell, by chair, flesh, is a decision of Paul Ricoeur he took it here, but it is a good one. But to say, okay, when he want to explain the fifth medication, to say, in fact, Husserl is speaking about the leaf body, okay? And it is a decision of Merleau-Ponty, who decided, in his very fantastic book, Phenology of Perception, to translate lie par chair. So, the primacy of the flesh on the body is to say that we have always to live to, to speak about the live body. And Michel Henry was a very good friend of me. We have a debate with Michel Henry, and he gave a response to me. And I said to Michel Henry, it is a chapter I wrote on Michel Henry, is there a flesh without body? It means, is it possible to speak only about the live body and not about the true body? The material body. What do we do? with the material body. So if I'm speaking now about what I call the true body or the material body, it is first because I have been uh, in hospitals, in surgical operation. I assist an operation of the stomach, an operation of, of the, the face, and, and so on. And I remember just after the operation of the stomach, I go outside the street, I said, oh my god, I have a stomach. And I did anesthesia on the pigs before. Because the pigs have exactly the same stomach as us. And we have a pig stomach. And then I thought, Christ has been incarnated 
So, it's, it's got also a stomach, and a pig stomach, as us. And it is exactly what Tertullian said against the Gnosticism. That's why I have a discussion with Michel Henry, because I'm not sure that what Michel Henry said about Tertullian in uh, Incarnation is exactly what Tertullian said. So, uh, I read just uh, a quotation of Tertullian if in the Decarne Christi. Christ was looked on as a man for no other reason whatsoever than because he existed in the corporeal substance, humana substantia corporis of a man, of the muscles as clothes, of the bones as stones, the mammary glands as a kind of peoples, the close junction of the nerves as propagation of roots, and the branching course of the veins as winding rivulets, and the down which cover us as moss, and the air as grass, and the very treasure of the marrow within our bones or holes of flesh. Christ came en chair et en os, you said in French, with flesh, with bones. And what does it mean en chair et en os? That is a question, and it is a question because my next book, it will be the title of one of my main books, next book, because en chair et en os, in phenomenology, means leibhaftic in person. So the question is, when you see someone en chair et en os, in bones, with, uh, is he with flesh? Does he exist because he's here in person, or does he exist because he has got flesh? I think that this question is very important in philosophy. So, in my book, The Wedding Feast of the Lamb, I saw that. I never seen it before. Because uh, someone wrote to me a, a letter to say that in the, old, the, in, the, in the Metamorphosis of Finitude, I was always speaking about flesh. I'm okay, but flesh is for resurrection. Body is for the Eucharist. So I create a concept which is a concept of spirit body, in French, corrépondu, which is between the extended body of Descartes and the least body of Husserl. And what does that mean, the spirit body? The spirit body is my body, with animality, with organ, with passion, passion with pulsion. In fact, it's not the body like it is thinking in phenomenology. It is like the body as it is thinking in Nietzsche. So now I'm coming back to Nietzsche. In uh, four days, I have to give a lecture on Nietzsche in Paris. So Nietzsche is now, for me, very important. Why? Because Nietzsche learned to us to come back to the body. So the spirit body is an animal body. But because we are human, our body is human, because someone else See my body as a human one. When you are going in an hospital for operations, there is silence, nude bodies, respect. There, there is a lot of respect of the body. 
And why is there so many respect of the body? Because all the people, men and women, we are always all sleeping. We have about 20 people we are sleeping like that in the operation, in the center of operation. All the people we are, we are sleeping are seeing like human people. And I can assure that it's absolutely not the same one we are with the pigs and the students. I did it. So, my body is an animal body with patient pulsion, but with stomach and so on. And the Christ, Christ was that. That's why when he said, this is my body, it's not only this is my lived body, what I feel in myself. It is my body, we will die. Okay, first. And then, if the, my body is an organic body first, it is not only an organic body, because you can see it, not only as an organic body, but as a human body. It means that it is the intentionality on the body which can change the body or the flesh, the body in flesh. You understand? You can change the body in flesh. So, um, when someone is spread out, someone can be spread out on a bed, someone can be spread out on an operating table, and Christ is spread out on the cross. Because when Christ is on the cross, he's a true body as an animal. But the disciples said, he is the son of God. He's not only an animal. So, I have to come back to what um, uh, Nietzsche said in Beyond God and Evil, I quote, nothing is given to us as a real beside of our world of appetites and passion, a sort of instinctive life where all the organic functions of self-regulation, assimilation, nutrition, elimination, exchange, are still synthetically linked a performance of life. Okay. Uh, we are here, and all the functions of, of our body are, are working in us. We are not thinking about our, our body, but it is because we have this body that it is possible for us to think. So, after first the limits of philosophy, I will saw two limits for after, I will want to speak about the Eucharist heritage, which is animality, to precise some points. First, you have to know, and you know, that at the beginning of Christianity, Christ was always represented like a lamb. Huh? When you go in the, in the crypt in Rome and so on, we always see a lamp. And when did we stop to represent Christ as a lamp? And when the bro uh, ex brothers are doing that, they are coming back to the beginning of Christianity. It was during the Council of Trullo in Constantinople in 6082 when the council said one substitutes the human image in the savior for that of the lamp. Why we said that we don't have to represent Christ as a lamp? 
We said it not because we didn't want to think what is animality at this period, but because the figure of the lamp was the Jewish one. So to be a true Christian, we have to suppress the lamp in representation of Christ or of Eucharist because it is too Jewish, but it's not a question of animality. So, uh, in fact, those two points, which is one, first, the question of animality, and then the question of bestiality, you can find it in the Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of John, you have the expression, here is the Lamb of God. And full stop. The Lamb of God. And then, in the text, just after, you have, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, you have first the Lamb of God, animality. And then you have the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, bestiality. So, I just want to say that you can find it. You can find it in the Gospel. And this question of animality, you can find it also in the book of Revelation, or with Cain. For example, uh, in the episode of Cain, in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 7, he said, the beast crushed to lust after you. The beast. Or in the book of Revelation, I quote, this is also the one wise final name of the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. So it means that we can find the distinction between animality and bestiality in the scripture itself. And the Pope Benedict XVI uh, said exactly that animality is very important in Christianity. I quote Deus Escaritas in the paragraph 5. If the human being aspires to be slowly spirit, and if he wants to refuse the flesh as being, I quote, an animal, a simply animal heritage, it is not me, huh? it is the Pope, Benedict says, then the body and the spirit lose their dignity. The dignity of the body and the spirit is in animality. Exactly, we spoke about it in the car. Exactly was said, Bernard of Clairvaux, in the Sermon of Canticon, where Bernard of Clairvaux said, because it is a translation from the Greek to the Latin, that first is animal, and the spiritual is coming after. In fact, it is a translation of first is psuche, and then pneuma is coming after. Psuche, and psychical, psuche, we try, we, now we translate by anima, but in Latin, in, in Latin uh, for Bernard of Clairvaux, it was animality. So, you understand that first there are some limits in phenomenology, and one of the limits is the fact that we are always speaking about the live body 
On that point, I disagree, in fact, with Michel Henry, but I don't want to develop that, okay? We develop only the lift body, and we don't develop the true body, or the reverse shock of theology on phenomenology, I will explain it tomorrow about uh, crossing the Rubicon, uh, the reverse shock made the fact that I have to change phenomenology. My conviction is that it's not enough to be a phenomenologist and to give lessons to theologians. To say, okay, you should do that, you should understand what is the body, you should understand what is organization, you should, you should, you should. But I studied theology, and I see many times that theology itself have, has got the means to change phenomenology. It is because of theology, it is because of Tertullian that we can't stay in phenomenology only in the flesh and that we have to come back to the body, corpore, or as prefer, to the spirit body. And then the second point, so it is the Eucharistic heritage, which is animality, passion and pulsion, and it means that when you receive the Eucharist, and it is for me an experience first, because for me, philosophy is absolutely no concept. Philosophy is experience. And that is, I explain it, the difference between the, the different generation of phenomenologists. Because you have the Husserlians phenomenologists, which are Levinas, Ricoeur, Henri. You have the Heideggerian phenomenologists, which are Jean-Luc Marion, absolutely Hegelian. You have uh, Jean-Yves Lacoste. You have Jean-Louis Chrétien, because they have the same teachers, Jean Beaufray. But in my generation, me, but Claude Romano too, Renaud Barbara, but me, I'm the Christian one, we are Merleau-Pontian. And what does that mean to be Merleau-Pontian? It means that experience is first. So if there is an apologetic, it's not first an apologetic of reason. It is a coming back to experience. My last book, I spoke, it about, I spoke about it yesterday in Notre Dame, it is a book of experience about monastic theology. So now, if you understand the limits of phenomenology, body and flesh, if you understood how we have to speak about animality, how Christ assumed and transformed animality in humanity, and how he came to save our bestiality too, it is a Eucharist heritage, we have to think now what is the Eucharist content which is the body. Third point, this is my body. I want to say first, as said Jean-Luc Nancy, I don't know if you know him, French philosopher, and Jean-Luc Nancy, who is absolutely not a Christian, it's very interesting that many philosophers, French philosophers, we are not Christian, are interested in theology, even if because of laicity you don't have to speak about theology. It is because it's forbidden that we, have, we, we do it. If you say to someone you don't have to teach theology, you can't in France, except in Institute Catholic of Paris, but you can't, you do it because we said to you, you can't. If, if it is forbidden, you do it, sure. So, and what said Jean-Luc Nancy? Jean-Luc Nancy said, this is my body. It is not first a formula which is a conviction for believers. This is my body. It is a formula of the culture. What is a body today? In Western, what does it mean, body? So, 
To know what is a body, I said it, we have to come back first to the organicity of the body, to the true body. It means that there are two ways in my book. The way which comes from the flesh, from the body to the flesh. It is a way from the pastor of Gethsemane, the guide of Gethsemane, about suffering and death, to metamorphosis of finitude about birth and resurrection. And it means, and I think it, think it and I believe it, that we will be resurrected in flesh. I think it will be very difficult to say, to, to think today, that you will go out of your tomb with your legs, huh, like on the cathedral. And Thomas Aquinas said something very important. He said that you will resurrect with your hairs, exactly as Augustine, with your arms, with your stomach, with your genital organs, but you will have it, but you, you will not use it. So you can ask yourself, why have it to not use it? But, uh, but Thomas Aquinas said, because the, the all of you are will, re will resurrect. And for me, it is a very important question. So what does it mean, the resurrection of the body? So I think first that the resurrection of the body is the resurrection of the flesh. It means the resurrection of my manner to live my body, of course. It is not perhaps only bones and air. But if there is a way in my work which go from the body to the flesh, the guide of Gethsemane and metamorphosis of finitude, there is also a way which go from the flesh to the body. And the body, it is the Maori Thursday. And the Maori Thursday, what it is? This is my body. And why there is an interest in Maori Thursday? Because I'm here. And I'm here with this body. So, in fact, the Eucharist is a scandal. I said it. And there, is, there are three manners to avoid the scandal in my eyes. An exegetical one, a theological one, and a pastoral one. The first one, which is the exegetical one, consists to say that the body is not a true body, I said. It is bazaar, okay? It is a person. But if you say that you are only eating a person, it's not the body. You are eating the person of Christ, it's not the body. The second manner to avoid the question of the body is theological. It is, I spoke with, uh, with you today, it is a symbolic way. So, of course, Many, many people are teaching about the symbolic way also in France, but to say that you know, in fact, the Eucharist, it is symbolic, like the mosaic glass tiles and so on, so that's why there is a correspondence between, between water and purity, between oil and force and so on. But is it enough to say that? I just want to quote what Maurice Blanchot said in The Secret of the Golem. The symbol is a wall. 
then it is like a wall that, far from being open, will become only more opaque, but with a density a deep, a reality so powerful and so exorbitant that it modifies us ourselves. The symbol is not only something that I can recognize. Because can you recognize the body of Christ in the bread? Perhaps you can. But if you are not first shocked, you can't. You have to be shocked first. The third manner to avoid the scandal of the Eucharist is a pastoral one. I know that with my parents and so on. It was good. Just after the Concile Vatican II is to say, oh, but the Eucharist, it is only a meal. We have to share the meal. So the Eucharist, it is the person we are present around the table. Yes, but what about the menu? What I'm eating? And that is a question. That's why I have to come in back to the debate between Jesus and the, the Jewish to say, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us this, his flesh to eat? His flesh to eat? What does it mean? What are you doing each Sunday? Oh, if, if you are doing it, you are not obliged. Or what are you doing each day? The body of Christ, thanks, the body of Christ, okay, amen, amen, amen. Each day. What are you doing? What are we doing? So, it's a true problem. Why? Because we have to think to our tradition. We have to know what is body today to understand what does it mean. This is my body. And not only to say you have to be very intelligent and to know the scripture, what is the body, and if you know what is the scripture, the body, you will understand what is the body. No. The tradition said this is my body, you have to eat the body. But what does it mean? So Augustine said, you have to know the scandal. He said in the Enerationes in Psalmos, the commentary, that seeming insanity, furor, and constant madness, insania, of giving people his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. Is it not the same insanity and sober inebriety when the Lord said, except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, which, which shall have no life in him? There is what I call in my book a quarrel of the flesh. That's why we have to come back to what Francis Bacon said. The true crucifixion are in boucheries. In fact, he's painting uh, um, uh, a painter of, of, of the Pope. Huh? You see that? And he's coming from Rembrandt, because Rembrandt paints a uh, how is that in English? Un bœuf écorché. What is the bœuf? A cow. A cow. Hein? A cow écorché. And, uh, and Rembrandt said that this cow, hein, which is a boucherie, he said, in fact, it is a Christ. But he did it in a book, not. But it was the sense of what he did. And Soutin did the same. So, what are we eating? And in fact, in the tradition, this question arises. When? in the 11th century with uh, the emperor Charles the Bad. Huh? We are in the Carolingian reform. And what he said, he asked 
what the mouse, the mouse of the faithful receives in church. Is it in mystery or in truth? Two solutions. First, it is in mystery. It means that it is in mystery. I don't eat really the body, but I'm seeing that I'm eating the body. And it is a mystery, of course. Sometimes you use a mystery because you, you don't want to think. It is a position of ratram and Béranger. You see in English Béranger? Yes, Béranger. Ratramus and Béranger. So, eating the body, it is only of this disposition of myself. Protestantism today is close to Ratram and Béranger. Then, you have the inverse. No, it's not in mystery. It is in truth. The true body. What said Radberg of Corby and what said Lanfranc was in Normandy. And then, of course, it is a very good position. But for Lanfranc, the body is like an object. And you can't say that the body of Christ, even in bread, is only as an object. Because transubstantiation is not an object. So they try to find a solution. And they found one. We don't know it. Because the question, when you are eating the body, are you eating the historic body of Jesus? Or are you eating the body of Christ, which is a resurrected one? If you don't crash the, uh, the, the bread, huh? Sometimes, uh, my, my, my father explained that. Sometimes, perhaps, you do it. So, when you say to the children before, you don't have to crush the bread, say, oh my god, I will crush his leg. Ah, you see what's happened in the imagination. Of course, the theology never said that you are eating the historic body. You are eating the resurrected body of Christ. And what is the resurrected body of Christ? It's not only a body with uh, organs, but the resurrected body of Christ is the resurrected we, we have on itself all the patic marks of what is or what it was, exactly what, how Amaler of Metz explained it, uh, and Henri de Lubac too. So we have to distinguish between the true body, corpus weri, verus, and the truly body, corpus weri. So it's a bit complicated, and Thomas Aquinas will take back, we come back to this equation. We don't eat the true body. Ah, the true body. With, uh, with, with hands and hair, no. But we are eating a truly body, a truly body, corpus virus, it is the body of Christ. That is the important point. And then to find the solution, Thomas Aquinas asked himself a question. What's happened if uh, a mouse find a piece of bread and eat it? A piece of a curry, so you say, hosty, hosty, you say, huh? So what's happened if a mouse is eating a hosty? Is it or not the body of Christ? Ah, that is a good question. And Thomas Aquinas said, it depends. And it's, uh, Thomas Aquinas says, it depends. It's good. It's distinction. It is the body of Christ, ex parte maducatis. It means, it is the body of Christ. In the hostie. If I'm thinking the hostie. But it is not the body of Christ ex parte maducantis. It means 
It's not the body of Christ if I consider the one who is eating the bread or the hostie. And Thomas Aquinas said, and it's very interesting that for to have the, and exactly in fact what Jean-Luc said in, in, in um, God Without Being, because when he's speaking about distance, even if there is distance, you have to be here. So Thomas Aquinas never said, and Jean-Luc too, that we have to be here for the real presence because he's here. But the act of eating the Eucharist is the encounter between the body in the hostie and my consciousness who said that it is a true body. So if you understand that this is a body, is a true body, and if you understand that you, you, you have to come back to the scandal of the Eucharist, and if you understand that we are eating the body of Christ, which is his, uh, uh, not his organs, but his manner to live in, so in, in, that, in that point, huh? what can we say about the transubstantiation? Do have we, to, have we do to, to say, have we to say, okay, I don't need those concepts because they are too old, so I have to develop something else which is transsignification, transfinalization, and so on. It's not my, my, my way. Because my way is to keep the concept of tradition. We have to keep them. We have to sing them. But to sing them from our, from our uh, period today. Contemporary world. So, third point, the force of the body. The first one was philosophy of the limits. The second one I call the Pasca of animality. The third one, this is my body. The fourth one, the force of the body. Why do we have to, today to think what is force, what is strength? Because it is, in my eyes, the second limit of phenomenology. We are always speaking not only about flesh and not body, but we are always speaking about passivity and now never about activity, since Husserl. So it's good, passivity, and the face of the other, Levinas, and to welcome the other, and sometimes, I'm not, I don't know if it is like that in the US, but phenomenology in France, it is absolutely fantastic. Donation, revelation, word, liturgy. So the word is so nice in phenomenology. So ironic. And Dominique Janico, he asked, he raised this question in his book when he spoke about Janic. He said, but what about the tragic? It is a question. My question. And we can speak always about passivity. We can speak always about the welcome of the others. Oh, of course, it's very nice. But I, I, I've been one week in, a, in an hospital in palliative care because I make very many experiences. And just before coming, I was in a, in a psychiatric uh, service. But in palliative care, what I saw, I wrote a text on palliative care and phenomenology. What I saw in palliative care, I saw bodies. I saw animal bodies. And I, I remember that the, the, the doctor said to me, we tried to welcome him and to welcome the family. I said to him, how can you welcome? We are shocked when you have a body. And that's it. 
that is the body. So, in that case, what do you see in palliative care? You see that the body doesn't want to die. I remember a woman was completely uh, sick, and so the doctor phoned to the family, and they said to them, it was on, uh, on Monday, he said, come tomorrow, it was on, on Saturday, come tomorrow on Monday, she will die tomorrow, so if you can come, the husband and the two, and the two girls, so it's good, and the two sisters came. Then they came, and I was with the woman. And on, on Monday uh, morning, she was here and she said, hello, how are you? And then she, get, she, she, she went outside and she smoked with her husband and his uh, two daughters. Then we have a meeting with the husband and the two daughters. And the two daughters said, you said to me that she will die today? I stopped my job to come? And she didn't die. It is not because they wanted that he died, but they think, why is she not die? And the doctor said to me, it is the body. You can say that it is a record. In fact, there is a force in the body. And we have to think what I call the struggle in life. It is my next book. And not only the struggle for life. There is a struggle in life. And in medicine, there is a struggle in life. So why do we have to think what is the force? Because if you think that transubstantiation is only a body which gives sun, which gives a force, which has strength, you can't think really what is transubstantiation. Why? Because substance, in a Christian, Christian way, is not a thing. And there is a difference between Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas, and Estienne Gilson show it. Because in Thomas Aquinas, the substance is substance, the thing itself, and the essence, okay. But in Thomas Aquinas, substance is the act of being. That's why there's analogy and so on. So substance is an act. It means that in transubstantiation, there is an act of transformation. And what said Leibniz in his discourse of metaphysics? Leibniz said in his discourse of metaphysics that substance is a force, is a strength. Exactly what Spinoza discovered. He discovered in the Conatus that we are constituted by the effort to perceive in one's being. It is a force which produces the body and not the body which produces the force. It is the love which makes body, but not the body which makes love. Why? Because we are first force, and we try to find body. If someone wants to marry, my, my first daughter married two months ago, but you can marry, but perhaps you are not open to your... You, 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 the boy, which is here, which will be your marriage, you are not open because you are a force. And you find, you try to find someone. You don't love someone because he's here. You love someone because you are a force to love. It means the force of life makes the living being, not the reverse. 
one becomes an herbivore by nourishing oneself from herbs and carnivore by feeding one ice prey. Far from denying our nature or created world, such a vision esteemed help us to see how much our body also participates in the active force of him who has wanted and desired us. God is force. That's why the dialogue in philosophy today between philosophy and theology can't be only a dialogue between phenomenology and theology, but it has to be a dialogue between Nietzsche and theology, but not the Nietzsche of death of Christ. It's finished, it's not finished, but we spoke a lot about it. But the Nietzsche about the body, because Nietzsche, I explained it in the, the Metamorphosis of has a true debate with simple, because in simple, first is the body, as in Nietzsche, and flesh and spirit are in simple only to man, the two manners to leave the body. That's why if you said there is flesh and spirit and you say that in simple we are saved by the spirit and not by the flesh, you understand nothing. Because the body is good for simple. He's speaking about the body of, of church, uh, the body, the, 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 the head is the Christ. You can glorify God in your body. The body is good. But you have two manners to live your body. You can live your body close on yourself. The name is flesh. And you can live your body open to the other. The name is uh, spirit. So the spirit is a manner to live the body. Exactly like in Nietzsche. Because what is new in Nietzsche, that is, is, what is, is that the body is first. That's why you have a true dialogue between the two. So if we understand that it is a force which produces the body and not the body which produces the force, we understand that the name of the Holy Spirit is force. And in my eyes, we completely forgotten the true sense of the Holy Spirit in the scripture. Because the Holy Spirit is not, is not only the way by which, which is the name of the love, by which the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father in a circular way, which is a Latin conception. The Holy Spirit is not only what is given to the world, the gift, it is the Greek conception, but the Holy Spirit is force. And we have to answer to Nietzsche, and we have to answer to Deleuze, when Deleuze said about Nietzsche that the Christianity uh, is, uh, contain the separation between the force and what the force can do. He said it is a paralogism of the force, huh? the paralogism of the force. But in fact, if my force is in my weakness, it doesn't mean that I have no force in me. It means that the force in me is the force of God. We don't have only to think what is a sure human, as Nietzsche. We have to think what is a sure God. What is a sure God? I don't know the name, I never read it. But the sure God is God with God a force, and God is looking, is searching a body. 
So what's happened in the Eucharist? Exactly what's happened between a man and woman? A force tried to find a body. It is the case in sexuality. What is sexuality between a man and a woman? I'm married, I have four children. What is sexuality between a man and a woman? Sexuality between a man and a woman, it is force. It is completely false to say that sexuality is a fusion of man and woman. No. There is no pleasure if there is no resistance of the, the other body. You need resistance. You need force. The condition of the pleasure is force. And what's happened in sexuality? I know it's complicated to speak about that in US, but I speak about it. In sexuality, the union, I quote my text, the union of the man and the woman masculinizes him via the force which is suitable to him, while the union of the woman to the man feminizes her via the resistance that she can put against him. The union of the flesh is not accomplished without the difference of bodies. Rather, this difference supports it. Immediately, of course, in Genesis, we have to be one flesh. But when you are speaking about one flesh, we stay always two bodies. The difference is at the origin. Exactly what, in fact, said uh, Joseph Ratzinger too. I quote Joseph Ratzinger, the masculine and the feminine are revealed as being ontologically part of creation and as destined to exist beyond the present, obviously in a transformed fashion. So now I arrive, five points, and then I finish. I arrive at the question of eros. Huh? So you have the question of the limit of phenomenology, body, true body, corpore, live, live body, Tertullian. Then second point, the Pascal of animality, the animality, which is the Eucharist heritage, Eucharistic heritage, and so on. Then you have the body, which is the Eucharistic content. This is my body. And what is the body? And the querelle about the question of body, what I am hitting. Then you have the force of the body, when you understand that it's not the body we give so force, but the force we give body. And the fact that transubstantiation is the act when God tried to find a body, Exactly what happened in the Eucharist when the priest said, or I can say, when the priest said that he invoke the Holy Spirit to come on the bread and invoke the Holy Spirit to come on the vine to transform the bread in the body of Christ and to transform the wine in the blood of Christ, what is he doing? He asked to God, and God find a body for his love. Exactly in Eros, when, uh, when uh, a man and a woman can find a body from Eros. So what can we say about Eros? Uh, something is surprising in Eros. It is the fact that in Christianity, we have to put the six days of creation at the place of the first day. Christ says something. I was in the Mass, and I said, oh my God, Christ made a, a mistake in his interpretation of Genesis. 
That's not a mistake. It is a new interpretation, which is the Christian interpretation. You have the debate with the Pharisees about is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause in Matthew chapter, chapter uh, 19. And Christ's response, I quote, have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning, Eparches, made them male and female? Or, another verse, from the beginning of the creation, in fact, it's not beginning, Arche, Apo de Arche Christeos, God made male and female. What's happened? Male and female, the differentiation between male and female. It is the first day of creation. And it's not the creation of earth and so on. So, if we understand that the difference of male and female is the beginning of creation, we have to understand what is exactly the act to love. The act to love is first to recognize a difference between me and the other. But the act to love, exactly as said Hegel, is differentiation. Loving is differentiated. It means that when I love someone, I become myself. When I love my wife, I become a man, more man. Even in sexuality, I will explain that. And my wife become a woman, more a woman. It means that, and it is a very important point, that the desire introduces something absolutely new between man and woman. And that's why we are not only animals. I will explain it. And the desire introduces something absolutely new between human being and God in the Eucharist. Why? Because Hegel explained, and Kojev, you know, perhaps Kojev, introduction to the reading of Hegel. Kojev explained, he said, love is act of differentiation. And he said that the desire in human being is not a need. It is the desire of the desire of the other. I quote Kojev, by the fact that desire is not aimed at a real positive and given object, but at a different desire, as an, it's not the animal one, in this way, in the relationship between man and woman, for example, desire is, is only human if one desire, not the body, but the desire of the other. If one wants to possess or assimilate the desire as desire, human history is a story of a desire of desire. Man desire the desire of his woman and the woman desire the desire 
of man. Encore une fois, le désir du désir de l'autre. And, and for me it was so surprised. In fact, when you are speaking about the Modi Thursday, what we are doing now, you can read that passion is not only passive. Passion, it is not only Christ on the Golgotha, Christ in the Gethsemane. We can think an active sense of passion like desire. I think it's the same in English as in French. Huh? Passion is the act of the patient, but it is the patient. I want you. This is my patient. And what says the Christ? The Christ says in French, I desire of a great desire to eat this Pasqua with you. You know that? In English, in French, it is I desire of a great desire. Christ desire, desire, the desire of the disciple. Exactly like in love between human and, and, and man. And why? Because as I said, that between human and woman and man, the man become, become always more a man in sexuality. And the woman become always more a woman in sexuality. It is what Hegel said, the desire is anthropogenic. Anthropogenic, it, seems, it, it means that it become anthropos, human, exactly in the same, that is my way, when you receive the Eucharist, this is my body, God is becoming always more God, and human being is becoming always more human being. Because we are created, not ungendered, but created, And if we have to say that we are created, we have to say that there is a difference, a complete difference between us and God. And I have a discussion with missionary and many people on that point. There is a complete difference. So what God wants for me? That I am a human being. And to say, I love you as a human being. So when you are coming to the Eucharist and you receive the body, this is my body, God said to you, I know your passion, I know your passion, I know your animality, I know all the things you can't say to myself, I know all the things you can't say to yourself, I know all the things you are experiencing yourself, but I want to be there with you. To welcome someone else there, it's lot. So, in that way, we can say, that the human desire is anthropogenic and I create the world, the, the, the God desire is theogenic. Okay. Then it means that for me, the phenomenon is a limited phenomenon. So I have a debate with Jean-Louis because he spoke about saturated phenomenon. I don't want to speak too much about this debate. It's good to have debate, no? Why not? But what does it mean, the limited phenomenon? I will speak perhaps tomorrow about it, about crossing the Rubicon. The limited phenomenon, it means that we are created in the limit. And God loves our limit. He loves our limit. And we always make confusion between limit and limitation. It's not the same. 
You are not limited. You are created in the limit. I wrote a big uh, paper about fungical finitude and theological limit in Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas is a thinker of limit because we are here first. And it is exactly what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in the course he gave before he died, the creation and fall, when he explained why God created Adam, Eve from Adam. Why? And he said, because Adam was created. And he tried to find someone to help him, Ned. He found nobody. And God gave to Adam female or the woman to give to Adam a limit. She's not completely like you. But you have something in common. It's not like an animal. And she's a limit for you. And why I give you a limit? For you love the limit. Because creation is limited. You are not an angel. You are a human being. And Thomas Aquinas said, heaven is a resurrection. I am always in my limit. And I will see, see God through my limit. So that's why I'm speaking about the limited phenomenon. And the temptation, the temptation, the attempt, is to want to be no limited, illimited. Exactly as said the, the snake, which will become like gods, but not like God. Okay, so the temptation. So first, the desire of the desire to the other, which is anthropogenic and theogenic. Second point in love. I love the other because he's my limit. And I have to love my limit and his limit. And it is because we share the limit that we are created. And the sin is to want to be illimited. And the third point is the status of the word, to speak. In my eyes, there is a, faithful, a faithfulness of the flesh. And it's not enough to speak about the oath. It's not enough to say that I give an oath, a sermon, and to say that because of the sermon, I am in faithfulness. I, when you are married, you have to live, if it's possible, it's complicated. Huh? I'm married since uh, 32 years. So it's complicated. But you have to live, if you can, the faithfulness of the flesh. You know that when you are married in the Catholic Church, the marriage is valid when it is not only a matrimonium ratum, the contract, but when it is a matrimonium consumatum. So, on the bed. Here you are married. It's very well known. But it's not only the day when married. Because it is difficult when you live in couple with your wife or with your husband, as it is difficult where you are alone. I spent 10 years of my life in a community, and I live with priests, celibataires, and I live with... Uh, it's always complicated. Because when you are alone, you ask to yourself, why there is nobody around me? I'm always alone. 
And when you are not alone, say, why? You are always here, around me. And the body of the other is not always flesh. What I feel and what you feel in your body. No! Often it is a body, an object. Always lie here, in my bed. Oh, you are always here. So, how can we live in that case? Eh bien, in that case, what I call the faithfulness of the flesh is to say that, as in the Eucharist, we don't have always to speak first. And I don't understand why in theology we are not always speaking about flesh first. The word became flesh. The mystery of Christianity is flesh. It's not only the word. Huh? The word became flesh for the flesh became word. So, the other one, my wife, can be for my wife or husband, so on, your friend, is often a body, sometimes a flesh. And sexuality is the act by which the other tried to be for me a flesh. And I tried to be for her a flesh. And it is because there is an essay to become flesh for the other that we speak. Just I want to say that it's not enough to say, as we say often in the church, so for the fiancé, so okay. First you speak, you go to the restaurant, you speak, and after when you spoke, you, you, you consume your, your marriage. But it's not really like that. Sometimes it's not first you speak. Exactly that. Sexuality is not only the fusion, it is false. Okay? Then, in fact, what is the mystery of the body, as said Merleau-Ponty? It is the enigma of the false term. Because Merleau-Ponty explained that when I touch one another, first point, I feel. I think you know that. Second point, I feel that I feel, I'm feeling. Third point, I feel that you are feeling. Say, ah, it's okay. But I never feel what you are feeling. I can feel, I can feel that I'm feeling. I can feel that you are feeling, but I can't feel what you are feeling. So it is a sort of the fall, a failure. But I spoke about the happy fall of the flesh. What is the happy fall of the flesh? It means that it is because I can't feel what you are feeling that I need words. The speech, the act of speaking, is coming in the failure of the flesh. It's exactly the same in the Eucharist. When you, you, have, you receive the Eucharist in, in, in church, and then go outside to speak. You go outside to speak because you receive the flesh. So it's not enough to say only that by the act of speaking, the bread becomes body and the blood become, um, the wine becomes blood. It is a performative, and it is very good, Austin and so on. But we have to say also that after I receive the body, I have to say by words what is impossible to say by the body. I conclude. What is now 
the finality, the aim of Eucharisty. If the uh, Eucharistic heritage is animality, the Eucharistic content is body and force, the Eucharistic modality is eros, and the eros has to be transformed in agape, very important point. I don't believe in the, I, I, I disagree with the university of eros and agape, but I disagree also in the equivocity of eros and agape. I'm not agreed with Jean-Luc about university in the erotical phenomenon, because I think when you do that, you are always thinking charity or agape on the model of eros, it's not enough. But I disagree also with equivocity, which is the nigren thesis. So I think that we have to think the transformation of the transformation of the eros in the agape. Because the sense of eros between man and woman can find its sense in agape between man and God. Because if between man and woman to love the another is to make a differentiation, we have to be in the most differentiation between, which is a differentiation between God and man. So, I just want to conclude that the aim of the Eucharist, and this is a point in philosophy too, is to abiding. In John chapter 6, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide menain in me and I in them. To abide, to menain. It's difficult for a copon. It's difficult for a priester to menain. And what does it mean to menain? We don't have to my, in my eyes to criticize the real presence as if it was a mode of permanence. I think it's completely false to say that. We have to think the gift of the presence, exactly what Jean-Luc showed, this is fantastic, in his chapter in God Without Being, where he explained the question of the distance, the charity of the gift. So, of course, the presence of Christ in the Eucharist is not as a thing, it is as a gift. But it's not enough to say that it is a gift because I have to maintain the gift. And how to maintain the gift? To maintain the gift, I have to be enthusiastic. The enthusiasm. What is the Eucharistic enthusiasm? Enthusiasm. If you can go to the mass, enthusiastic. Enteos. Enteos. Enthusiasm and Deus. In God. If you are enthusiastic, you are in God. And what is the sense of Eucharistie? And De Lubac show us. The sense of Eucharistie is not only the body of Christ I take in me, in my heart, and I have the Christ and the Lord in me, and I, I'm coming back with my home. You know who I am? To have the Lord in me, to have the body of Christ in me? I can't contain the body of Christ. As said de Lubac, as said de Renéus. So we have to think that to eat the body of Christ is a mode of incorporation. I explained that it is intentionality in phenomenology. As Sartre said about Husserl, I am projected outside of me, even if 
Sartre didn't understood exactly what said Husserl because he said outside of me, and in Husserl I'm never outside of me. So I have to be enthusiastic. I have to recognize, as says the hymn of Ephesians, that I don't have God don't as not to feel what I feel. It is too egocentric. But I have to feel what God feels. I have to to be incorporated in this feeling, and I will see tomorrow. I have to be incorporated in the text. I have a debate with Ricker on that point. The text is not made for me. The text is not made for my transformation. It's not enough. I am made for the text, exactly as I am made for the uh, incarnation. So I just finished to say that, as said Romano Guardini, in the Lord, something absolutely new happened in Christianity at the moment of ascension. And what is ascension? It's not only the moment where the body of Christ is going to the uh, sky. Ascension, said Romano Guarmini, is the act by which God or Christianity has dared the place of the human body, body into God. The human body is in God. That's why I finish now by the ritual of the marriage, because during the ritual of the marriage, the church said that if you have to communicate to, to, to the body of Christ, it is because you have to communicate to the body of your wife or to the body of your husband. It means that the sense of the communion between man and woman is in the communion between God and human being. I quote the ritual of the marriage, number four. Brothers, ask of God to bless the new spouse who have just, spouse, who have just received together the body and the blood of the Lord, Eucharist, and for that, in giving themselves one another, they become themselves a single flesh and a single spirit. Give them, it's magnifique, give them the body of your son by whom will be realized their unity. Thanks.